0: see it Hey, well, hello again. we are uh in the midst of this series, Jesus Period, and we're talking about that very thing that we just saw there on the bumper. Uh, video and it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything and the book of Colossians uh, really points to the supremacy of Christ if you're new with us this morning if you're a guest again thanks for being here Uh, so glad that you've decided to join us you're catching us in the middle of this series uh, where we are going through the book of Colossians and we're talking about the fact that Jesus is everything now this morning as I sit here, uh, I, was, I was really, really excited for last week's message, uh, to preach that message, to be up here in front of you, uh, because it was all about the supremacy of Jesus and his, his authority, his beauty, his majesty, and it was a fun message to preach. But one of the problems when you go through a book of the Bible and you go kind of passage by passage is you run into these passages that you would rather not be up here to talk about. And so this morning we find, we run square into one of those passages because this morning, as you can see from the title of the message, it's the gift of suffering. Now, if any of you have ever suffered, which I'm guessing in an audience this size, most of you have gone through some type of suffering. And I wonder for how many of us do we ever think that it's a gift? And yet as we look at the way Paul describes suffering... Here in Colossians chapter One, and the way suffering is described throughout scripture, uh, it is described in a little bit different way or a very different way than what we would describe it and so i would I would confess to you that in my own life i have not I have not suffered that much i 've lived a pretty easy life. things have gone fairly well for me, and i haven 't faced uh, some of the suffering that many of you have faced. And so as I sit here, I feel very inadequate to deliver this message because I know that some of you have gone through much deeper suffering than I myself. And I also know that here in the United States, I'm going to talk about this a little bit, that we don't really fully understand what it means to suffer for the sake of Christ as others throughout the world do. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So this morning as I say that, um, I am not going to uh, kind of walk you up to the ledge and push you off. But I would rather say that we are going to wade out into the waters of this idea of suffering and what God has for us here together. Uh, I do not, again, confess to be an expert on this, and so I would uh, plead for your grace as we deal with this. And I I also hope, uh, I am a person that's on a journey, as are all of you, and as we journey through this together, I think that God has a a lot of work to do in our hearts in this area of suffering. And as I studied this week for this message, I know that God was doing a lot of work in my heart uh, as I was studying, so... I say all that to just prepare us for where we're headed. Uh, so let, let me just pray. I feel like I should pray and ask God for his grace this morning over us as we look into this message uh, of suffering. So, Father, uh, God, it is so good to call you Father. Uh, thank you for being our Father. Thanks for loving us, calling us your children. God, I, I praise you for Jesus and the work that he did on the cross, that he was able to proclaim that it is finished. That all of our sin is taken care of when we put our faith in you. That there is no blemish or accusation. Father, we love peace and comfort. You've designed us that way. Uh, But as we look at suffering, it brings into our lives, it, it brings turmoil. It brings hurt and pain, and it's a reality that we need to face. But God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what it is that you desire to teach us in the midst of suffering. How is it that we can call suffering a gift from you? I pray that you would open our ears to under, or hear and open our eyes to see that we might understand what it is that you want to teach us this morning. Give us humble hearts, Father. And Father, if there's anyone here that is really, really struggling this morning, suffering this morning, uh, I'm aware of how short my words will fall to bring healing. But Lord, I know that you are the one, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that can bring that healing. And so, Father, I just pray that you would heal every wound, that you would cover over every heart that is in turmoil this morning, that you would bring peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. If you're uh, new to the Bible, maybe you're a skeptic of the Bible, you're not sure, and uh, you're just here checking it out, Uh, I'll give you a little help as to where Colossians chapter 1 is. Uh, you can see it up there on the screen if you go through what we call our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you keep on going. You'll run into this book called Colossians. And again, this is, this is the Apostle Paul writing, in case you don't know that. Paul was a, a man who persecuted the church. Um, he very heavily, actually, persecuted the church. But then uh, through God's sovereignty and the, the grace of Christ, Jesus met him on a road uh, to Damascus and changed his life. And he ends up then writing uh, 13 books of the New Testament. And he himself is is greatly persecuted for the sake of Jesus. Um, and so when he's writing, he writes from a place of understanding uh, about what it means to be persecuted And so verse 24 is where we'll start, and we'll read through uh, chapter 2, verse 5. I will throw this out there. We're not going to get very far this morning, uh, just so you know. We don't have a whole lot of time, uh, but we're only really going to talk about verse 24 for the most part because of this idea of suffering is where it comes out. So here we go. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction, For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints to them. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. I just want to make one note there. That that is the heart of the leadership of this church. As you think about your pastors and your elders, that is the heart of the leadership of this church. That that we would all be growing in our wisdom and understanding and our knowledge of who Jesus is. And that someday we might all stand before Christ mature. The, the word there in the NIV, which I was reading, is perfect in Christ. But you also may find in other translations, mature in Christ. And that's our goal. That's the goal of every parent, is to see your children grow up and mature. And also as spiritual parents, as pastors and elders and leaders, we want all of us to grow up and mature in our faith in Jesus. So we'll keep going, verse twenty-nine. And to this end I labor, struggling with all of his energy which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. All right, so as I said we're going to look into this this passage here in verse 24 this idea of suffering. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you now, as we do this, I want to lay kind of the groundwork for suffering because there's different categories for suffering and there's some things we need to understand about suffering before we go forward so that we, we have, we're using the same terminology, the same understanding. So if you look in, the, in your bulletin, uh, you'll find uh, in the notes section here, the sermon notes section, I gave you a couple categories here of suffering. Uh, I wanted you to be able to take these with you. Uh, That's why I didn't put them up on the screen. So we'll go through these categories together. First, there is this idea of general suffering. All right. General suffering is basically this. When God created the world, Genesis 1, we have this account of God creating everything, creating man and woman, and everything is at peace. There's what we would call, the, the Hebrew term for this is shalom. There was a peace that existed on the earth. But very quickly, as you read, you run into Genesis chapter 3, and something happens. We're all familiar with this. It's uh, Adam and Eve and the fall. All right? They take the fruit that they weren't supposed to take. They rebel against God, and it breaks that shalom that existed in the earth at that point. It breaks that peace. There's no longer a peace within the earth because of that sin, that rebellion towards God. And ever since that point, Ever since Genesis chapter 3, we have this, this brokenness to the world system. And you don't have to look very far to know that this is true. That, th- that this is the, the case. You look around, you, you look at the news, you look at, at uh, your own life, and you see there's suffering. There's certain things that happen that cause frustration. If you were in Redding on Thursday night and you were parked at the mall, there's probably some frustration in you this today. Still, as your car looks like it went through a war zone because of the hail that fell on it. Now, that, that's, a, that's a product of general suffering. There was no sin involved. You just happened to be at the mall, and the hail came down that was the size of baseballs and destroyed your car. And now you have to deal with it. You have to fix it. You have to figure out what to do with that. That's general suffering. All right? I think of something that happened to my family this past winter in February. Our son, Josiah, who's 18 months was diagnosed with, uh, with kidney cancer. It was a tumor on his kidney. Again, general suffering. There's, there's, no, there's nothing involved with that. There was nothing that caused that. It's just this brokenness within the world system. And so there is suffering that goes along with that. Pain and loss. Some of you have lost people that are very close to you. As we think about Memorial Day tomorrow... Right? Perhaps some of you have lost a friend or family member in service to our country. That's, that brings suffering. There was no sin involved with that. It's just general suffering. So I gave you another couple of passages there. Uh, Romans chapter 8 would be another one you could look at uh, to, to build on that. All right. So the next type of suffering, there's a, an external suffering, or this is, this is just my terminology. I didn't even read this in a book. I just came up with this on my own. You might be able to come up with better terminology, uh, but it was what I decided to use. So there's this external suffering that all of us have probably faced at some point or another. And external suffering just is simply this, that someone sins against you and it causes you to suffer. Right? And this is a broad, broad spectrum. Right? When I was in sixth grade, uh, my nickname was Marshmallow. Okay? I was a husky kid. So someone just decided, well, we're going to call Marshmallow. Which, by the way, Marshmallow is not a shorter than my name Chris. Okay? If you're going to get a nickname, it should be shorter than your given name, but it wasn't. So anyway, this caused, you know, I laughed about it at the time. I went along with it. But it caused some pain in me, all right? It caused some, some suffering. Even to this day, I would tell you that I, I am conscious of the things that I eat and the way my health, be, I think, because of some of that, because of being picked on as a kid. So that was some external suffering, all right? Some of you are aware of that. Now, it could go much, much broader, I mean, you could get into physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, sexual abuse. I mean, any kind of abuse that someone is doing to you, there's suffering that happens because of that. And so we have to deal with that reality that there is suffering that comes from others. What we're going to talk about a lot this morning is the persecution that comes against the church, against those that, that love Jesus. Paul is one that is suffering, it's external suffering because of his faith in Christ, so that's one uh, one more example. And then the third category I would put in is suffering as a result of of your own sin. And this is one we don't like to acknowledge. We don't necessarily like to even talk about it, but it's a reality. God has given us some some commands in scriptures, some we would call them the law, possibly the Ten Commandments, and there's even more as you, you dig through, and a lot of us look at those commands or those laws as kind of shackles to hold us down, but they're actually given to us by a loving father who cares about us and doesn't want us to do things that will cause us pain, and he knows the consequences that exist when we sin against him and when we sin against others. And so I've lived out some of the consequences of sin. There are times in my life where I have, I have lied about things. I have deceived. Uh, I've done, done some really foolish things that I've had to pay the penalty for those consequ- or the, the, the sins in my life. I've had to live with those consequences. Every one of you in this room probably this morning can relate to that. You've done something against someone else that has hurt that relationship. It's hurt someone else. There's been a consequence, even as simple as driving your car at 85 miles an hour down 222 and getting pulled over. There's a consequence to that. There's a consequence. So we sometimes suffer because of our own sin and it causes, it causes hurt and pain and broken relationships. And the only way to remedy that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we put our faith in Christ, when we trust in Jesus, we, are, we know that we are forgiven and we're free from the accusation, free from the shame, free from the guilt of all of the, that sin. And so this morning I would just say, if you're here this morning and you're suffering from some of the consequences of your own sin, that's a reality that you need to face. But there is freedom from that shame and guilt in the gospel of Jesus. We just went through that in Colossians uh, chapter 1 just earlier in, in the message last week. So, all right, so now that we have some of the ground rules, uh, kind of the, the categories of suffering, let's jump into what Paul says. So he says in verse 24, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Okay, a couple interesting things here to point out. The first is that he says he rejoices in what was suffered. Now, he's not saying I rejoice in what others have suffered for you. He says, I rejoice in what was suffered from you. He's talking about his own suffering. Now, we know from the book of Acts, we know from uh, Paul's friend Luke, who recorded this in the book of Acts, that when Paul is writing this, he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. He is in prison because he is proclaiming Jesus and salvation through, through Christ alone. And now he's in prison. So he is suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he says that he rejoices in that. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I were standing up here and I'm proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Jesus, and I was thrown in prison today, if the police came and threw me in jail, I'm not so sure that I would be rejoicing from prison. Yay! I'm in a jail cell. I'm not so sure that that would be my attitude. Now, it's interesting that Paul says this because at this current moment, his current suffering for the sake of Christ is that he's in prison. But he tells us in a different portion of scripture in 2 Corinthians that he suffered far more for the sake of the gospel. So I want to show you what it is in case you're unfamiliar because in, in, there's a passage where Paul tells us, here's what I've suffered for the sake of the gospel. It comes out in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, there, there are those in Corinth at the time that are uh, boasting about what they've done. They're boasting about their own accomplishments. And so Paul comes along and he says, well, all right, if you're going to boast, I shouldn't boast, but I, I will. So we kind of we kind of cut it off here, but I didn't have time to get into all of it. So he says, are they servants of Christ? And then he says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times. I received the, the Jews from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. I think it's funny that he describes it that way. Like, isn't it easier to say, I received the 39 lashes from the Jews. I guess he just wants us to do some math there. I don't know why they say 40 minus one, but that's what it is. It's 39. So three times. I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep, and I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and beside everything else, I failed they face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And you look at that list, and yet when you go back to Colossians 1 and Paul says, I rejoice for what was suffered. I rejoice. And you look at that list and you say, man, I haven't gone a day in my life hungry aside from my own choosing. I haven't gone a day in my life without water. I've never been stoned, like meaning stones thrown at me i've never been stoned the other way either but i've never been stoned having stones thrown at me i've never been on in a shipwreck all right i've never gone through any of that that he's gone through and yet all of this that he lists he says i rejoice for what was suffered for the sake of the gospel and you might ask And if you're a skeptic of the Bible, you might be looking at this and saying, yeah, this is my biggest problem with Christianity. This is my biggest problem with God is how can a good God allow pain and suffering? Well, hopefully we can get to the bottom of that. Paul has a different approach to suffering than I would say most of us have. And I would ask, as I read this, I asked this question. So why doesn't Paul just reject God and move on? Like if that was you, if you had gone through all of those things that Paul described, wouldn't you be tempted to just say, forget this, God, I'm doing, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm trying to do them all. And every time I do it, something bad happens to me. This just ain't working. But Paul has a different attitude and a different perspective. He loves Jesus and he trusts God completely. No matter what happens in his life, he understands that God has a purpose for it. A couple things I want to point out. Paul's life isn't based on material possessions, status, or comfort. He has one goal and one goal alone, and that is to glorify Jesus in everything that he does. What I was challenged by this week in my own personal life was how much of my life is wrapped up in material possessions, my status, meaning who, who people think that I am or their opinion of me, uh, or even just comfort. Every step we take, we look for where's the most comfortable way out of this? What's the most comfortable thing I could do? What is the, the, the road that I can take that is the most comfortable? But Paul's attitude is completely different. He says this, In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 8, he says, "...but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ." What he's talking about there isn't just material stuff. He's not saying, just go sell all your stuff, get rid of it, have a big yard sale. All right, he's talking about even his own claims to righteousness, the the things that, that he's been given in his life, his status. And he's saying, I consider it all loss just so I can know Christ. There is nothing greater in this life than knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's his approach. The second thing I would point out is that Paul, to Paul, this world is not his home. And I struggle with this one constantly, that I make this world my home. I'm so comfortable here. I'm so comfortable here. You think about it. I mean, when we leave this place, some of us might go out to eat. Some of us will probably eventually some point today get to a place where we call home. Paul was a man who lived Without a home. I mean, he didn't have a place to, I mean, as Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head, many times, as he pointed out in 2 Corinthians, he went without a place to call home. All for the sake of knowing Christ. Now, where is Paul's home? This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. We all know this. I just had this conversation with someone as I came in this morning. Every single day we're getting older. We can't stop it. The process of deterioration is continuing. So outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He puts into this category our light and momentary troubles. When you read what he says in 2 Corinthians about all that he's gone through, I would hardly claim that as light and momentary, but he does. And they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the physical world, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Awaiting the new body, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in, that's this physical body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. To Paul, this place was not home. This body that he was in was a temporary dwelling. All right? For you and I, our stay on earth is temporary. 80, 90, 100 years if you're really lucky. That's all we have here. That's all we have here. And Paul is saying, my home is not this place. I don't live for the glory that we can earn on earth, but I live to exalt Christ. I live for his glory, not my own. The last one I would would present to you in Paul's perspective on suffering is that suffering produces character. God uses suffering in our lives to bring about change in us. Let said say that again, suffering produces character and God uses suffering in our lives to bring about change in us. And Paul understood this fully. He writes in the book of Romans, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Again, the words rejoice and glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces Perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul sees that suffering is producing something in him. It's producing something. Every area of my life that I have somewhat suffered in has brought about great change in me. The hardest times in my life have produced, have produced the most growth in my life. And yet whenever suffering comes into my life, I want to run away from it, even though I know that it's what's producing growth in me. It's challenging me. I have not, I have not grown from the comfort of my easy chair. Your muscles do not grow strong from the comfort of your easy chair. Neither spiritually do you grow when everything is just easy. When everything is easy and just coming light. Here's what is my experience. When when things are perfect, when things are going good, what happens to me is I become a consumer of God's blessings rather than seeking the blesser. I just become a, a consumer of it. I I consume food, shelter, rest, all the things that God has given me as gifts. I just take them in and I think of them as rights. I expect them to happen. And what those things were given to me for was to drive me back to him, the one who's given them to me. Think about it. If any of you have ever fasted, all right, taken time without food, all right, you are When you get hungry, right? What does it do in you? It drives you to... You want to eat, right? You get hungry, you want to eat. In the moments when I've I've fasted, it has given me a greater appreciation for food, all right? This year, I made this silly agreement with my sons that I wasn't going to drink soda for a year. I don't know why I agreed to that. I am suffering because of it. And... I am, I am almost six months in now, but or five months in. But it's amazing as that desire comes really strong sometimes to drink a, a Coke, right? It's amazing how strong that desire can be. And I'm driven to think, wow, how much am I dependent on that? And when I have it, when I can drink it whenever I want to, I don't really appreciate it. The same is true with food, and I think the same is true in our relationship with God. When, when there are times in my life that, that the pressure is on, all right, when something is causing me pain, all right, I run to God. I am grateful for the blessings that he's given me in those moments. But at the times when life is easy, I can very easily forget how blessed I am, how much God has given me. Alright, we need to keep moving. So if you would continue on in 2 Corinthians, you would find that there's something that that happens in Paul's life that I think exposes a lot, it reveals a lot to us about suffering. Alright, and we need to take an honest look at it. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, Paul gives us this, this, uh, this example of something that's happened to him personally. Now, we need to understand that uh, there is a great uh, enemy of our soul. I have to put this out there for you. There's a great enemy of your soul, and his name is Satan. Satan is very real, and his desire is one thing and one thing alone, and that is to destroy you. His desire is for you to worship something other than God. Right? doesn't have to be him. It can be anything else. It can be the stuff that God has given us. It can be another person. There's there's a whole long list you could go through of things that Satan desires for you to worship. But as long as it's not God, it's good with him. And there's this interesting thing that happens to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And so I'll share it with you. I'm going to start at the therefore part. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, look what Paul says. This was given to him so that he doesn't become conceited, arrogant, boastful. Is that something that God would want of him? To become conceited, arrogant, boastful? No. If any of you know someone who's arrogant, you probably uh, struggle with that person at times. If they're prideful and boasting all the time, you probably struggle with that person. You can probably think of them now right? That's not something that God wants to accomplish in us. He doesn't want us to be conceited, but Satan would want that. Satan would want us to be prideful, arrogant, conceited. So look what happens. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know what this is. Pastors will tell you they know what it is. They don't know what it is. We don't know what it was. Was it some kind of physical ailment? Was it a struggle with sin? We don't know. I'm going to guess, my best guess, my educated guess, is that it's some kind of physical ailment. All right? And it was given to him. He says, it was given to me to torment me, but to keep me from becoming conceited. So God uses, all right, this messenger of Satan comes along and torments Paul so that he doesn't become conceited. But God uses it for good. Satan's goal is to destroy Paul, but, but God's goal is to bring about change in his life, to keep him from becoming conceited and prideful and boastful. So then he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For some of you that are, are struggling with some kind of physical ailment, you need to hear this, all right? There is suffering that has come into your life. It is not wrong for you to pray for God to heal you. It's not wrong for that. God actually says, whatever's anxious, whatever is burdening your heart, bring those things to me. But Paul does this, all right? That's what he does. And he quickly understands this suffering in my life. God is using it to bring about change in me. God's using it to keep me from becoming prideful, and arrogant, which will ultimately destroy me. For some of you, you have been praying for years for God to heal you. You're saying, God, seriously, just heal me. And I would ask you this question. And again, here's where I'm just, I feel the weight of this because I haven't walked this with you. But I would ask you this question. Are you okay if God's answer is my grace is sufficient for you? My grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfect in your weakness. Are you okay with that answer? Because for some of us that have suffered so greatly physical, physic, physically, we're thinking, God, just heal me already. We are not okay with that answer. But remember, it's not about this place. It's not all about this earth. There's something that God is producing in us. Something that God is producing in us that he wants to bring about change in us and those around us. He wants to use that moment to change us. But if we're just sitting there constantly yelling at God, angry with him because he won't heal us, I wonder if we're not missing it. If we can't look back and say, all right, I need to change the way I'm praying. Because Paul pleaded three times, and then he said, All right, God, if this is your will, help me understand it. Help me live in this. It's a challenging, challenging thing that comes out uh, that Paul gives us here. All right. Got to keep moving, and I want to get into, really, we haven't even gotten into the heart of what Paul is getting at here with uh, the suffering in Colossians 1. And you all have picnics to go to and stuff you want to do this afternoon. So I've got to get you there. So he says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. The suffering that Paul is talking about here is not... He's not talking about this physical ailment. He's talking about physical persecution. Thrown in prison for his faith. Now, he makes this interesting statement. He says what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. And as you read that, if you've read the verses before this, and as I got to talk about last week, Christ is all sufficient. He's supreme. And he says, what is lacking? And you look at this and you're like, wait a second, Paul. What are you talking about? How is there anything lacking in Christ's affliction? Let me be clear on this. There is nothing, nothing insufficient about Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. He has conquered sin. Paul makes that clear just before this, that he has conquered sin. There's nothing insufficient about it. But here's what I think is lacking when he says that there's something lacking. The fact is that you and I, we did not get to see Christ nailed to the cross We did not see Christ's suffering, right? We didn't see him be beat. We didn't see him be whipped. We didn't see him spit on for the sake of ultimately our salvation, that he would go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sin. We didn't see it. Paul's aware of this as he's writing to the church in Colossae saying, you haven't seen his afflictions. You've heard about them. You know about them, but you didn't see them. And what he's saying here, what I believe this is, is that he is, his afflictions, his suffering is an extension of Christ's suffering. So as the church looks in on Paul and sees Paul suffer for the sake of the gospel, they not only see Paul suffer, but they see Christ suffering. This is is mind blowing to us, especially in the United States. Right I got a lot of what I am a lot of thoughts this week came out of this book from John Piper, uh, Desiring God. Thanks, Adam, for letting me borrow your book. I didn't tell him I just took it out of his office. but uh, this is a phenomenal book, and, and you might not want to read all of it, but if suffering is something that is if this message is just uh, waking some things up for you or it's hitting home, chapter 10 in this book. I recommend it highly. Just, just read chapter 10. It's on suffering. But he makes this comment in here, uh, this statement. Uh, and I got the quote out of chapter 10. Since Christ is no longer on the earth, he wants his body, the church, to reveal his suffering and its suffering. Just let that sit for a second. Since Christ is no longer on the earth, Okay. He sits at the right hand of the Father. It is finished. When he went, when he, went, when he was uh, ascended into heaven, he sits now at the right hand of the Father. And he's done what? He send, sent his Holy Spirit here to dwell inside of us. And so it says so he's no longer on the earth. He wants his church, his body, to reveal his suffering and its own suffering. Because here's what happens. When the church suffers, we're reminded, all right, of what Jesus said. John 15, verse 18 through 20, the world hates you. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is to the Christian. If you're in here and you're a follower of Christ, he's speaking to you. All right, he's speaking to you. Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey me or my teaching, they will obey yours also. And I will be honest with you, in America, this just does not compute for me. It doesn't compute. As a Christian, all right, I I, I have, I've been following Jesus now for about 15 years, give or take. And, the worst persecution that I've ever faced were some nasty comments on the internet and some hazing from some guys that I played college football with that made fun of me because I didn't, uh, I didn't go to parties and I didn't sleep around. I, honestly, as I thought through the last 15 years of my life, what's the worst persecution you have faced for being a Christian? And that's it. That's all I could come up with. And so I read things like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I think, okay. What, I don't have a category for that because I haven't faced it. But then if I, if I just take a second and I open my eyes and I look around the world, all of a sudden I see there's, the church is being Persecuted. I mean, in North Korea, we have a a leader there that is dragging Christians into stadiums in front of tens of thousands of people and having them shot for the very fact that they would proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior. You go to Africa, there's churches that are being burned down, families that are being ripped apart. Go to the Middle East, there's pastors that are being thrown in prison and tortured. For the sake of Christ. And I stand here in the United States and I think, man, we're just blessed. Folks, we gotta be honest. We gotta be honest. We live in the land of milk and honey. We are blessed. We get upset when our car doesn't work. Or there's, there's comments made on Facebook that we disagree with. Or we're picked on a little bit because, you know, we go to church or something. we got to be honest. We have not faced persecution like this. And so as I read Paul, I wonder, am I ready for this? Am I, am I ready to face this type of persecution for the sake of knowing Christ? that the church might be edified, that the church might be brought up, I, I don't know if I'm ready. And I would challenge the rest of you just to think about it. And I, I, ch- I really try not to get political from the stage. I'm not going to do it here, but I, I do, I've, for a long time, I've been a person that said, that type of persecution will never come to the United States. I'm beginning to think that I was wrong about that. There may be a time coming, maybe not my generation, maybe my kid's generation, but there's a time coming when we say, I am a follower of Jesus and we face very real persecution for that. And I would challenge all of you here that are followers of Jesus to say, are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to do any of that, but I'm just asking, are you ready? Because I want to be ready. I want to be willing to go to prison for the sake of the gospel. I really do. And I hope that when the time comes, if it ever comes, and I pray that it doesn't, I don't want that time to come. But if it does, I pray that I'm ready for that. And you might ask yourself, if you're a person who's skeptical of all of this, you might ask yourself, why? why? What's the point of all that? Why would you go through that persecution uh, for the sake of of Christ, and as we talked about last week, I have nothing to boast in except for Jesus. I am who I am by the grace of God, it is all because of him, and so my life. Though I enjoy the pleasures of this world that God has blessed us with and I enjoy my life here in the United States. As we think about Memorial Day, there are many men and women who have sacrificed their lives for our freedoms here. And I am so thankful for that. I am so thankful for that. And I simply want my life to glorify Jesus in every way because without him, I would say that I would not... Have a life worth living. I would not have a life worth living. And you might wonder, well, what is it worth? Why why suffering? All right. Why this idea, why would Paul rejoice in his suffering? Why would this be so? And I I would just challenge you that, that when the church suffers, all right, how we suffer is so important. Whether it's through general suffering, that natural suffering that happens, or whether it's through persecution and external suffering. How we suffer is so important because the world looks in on us. The world looks in on us and they see something. They see something. And what is it that they see? In, uh, in John Piper's book, he shares this story. Some of you may be familiar with it. I want to share it with you, though, this morning because it's powerfully impacted me this, mo- or this week as I read it. And it's the story of a, of a KGB uh, secret agent in Russia in the early 1970s. His name was Sergei Cordova. I think I said that right. If I didn't, I apologize. But, um, so he was a KGB agent, and his job was to go around Russia and find those that were meeting in ch- churches privately, underground, right? And bring them to justice. Either punish them enough so that they would stop meeting or kill them or whatever they decided to do. There was, there was no boundaries on them. And so he recounts these stories in his, his autobiography and and John Piper notes it in his book. But so they were out one night, he and his, uh, KGB buddies, uh, were out, um, on tour, whatever you want to say. They were out, uh, persecuting the church and they found this underground church they were meeting in a basement and they go in and they found uh, there was a a woman there and he describes this woman as the most beautiful person that he's ever seen just beautiful blonde hair blue eyes and as they came in his friend uh, Victor took this woman her name was Natasha he took her and he lifted her up and he threw her against the wall all right he records that she hit the wall at the same height at which she left his hand. And as they were leaving, after they had broken up this church meeting, uh, Victor looked at Sergei and said, I bet the idea of God flew right out of her head as she hit the wall. So two nights later, they're out again. And they come into this underground meeting and, and there she is. There's this woman, Natasha, who they had just beaten before And so the soldiers all take her and they throw her up on the table and they strip her down. And Sergei begins to beat her with his hand as hard as he can and just beat her until his hand all right, is sore and he can't swing anymore. And he describes how she's bleeding uh, profusely. And they leave. Several weeks later, they're out and they come into this uh, again, an underground meeting. And who is there? Natasha. And his friend, Alexei, takes out his club. He's about to strike her on the head and basically kill her. And Victor, the one who had thrown her against the wall, stands in between her and him. And he says, do not touch her. There is something different about her. There is something that she has that we do not have. And in the midst of this exchange, she runs off. And Sergei recounts how he wishes that he could go and speak with her because he wants to know what it is that she has that is different. Well, ultimately, he later learns that it's Christ. He later learns that it was Christ that is different in her. It's Jesus that she had. And it changes his life. He ends up coming to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he writes this letter and he says, Natasha, I don't know if you will ever hear of this. I don't know if you'll ever see this, but thank you. Thank you for standing for Christ. As I read that story, and I, I'm challenged by it. I'm challenged by the fact that Natasha would suffer so greatly for the sake of, of knowing Christ, for the sake of sharing in the body, to meet with one another, that she would face that kind of persecution. And I wonder if I would face it. And I don't think that it is any coincidence I really don't. I don't think it's any coincidence that Paul writes this right after he talks about the supremacy of Christ. Because if Christ weren't as supreme as he is, if he wasn't the ultimate authority, if he wasn't so beautiful and majestic, I wouldn't go through this suffering for him. If he wasn't the one who saved me from all of my sin, I wouldn't go through that suffering for him. But he is the one that has saved us from our sin. He is the one that is worth living for. And I think as the church faces suffering, as the church faces suffering, the world around us will look in and they will say, there's something different about them," And it's Christ. Got to close with this. The Apostle Peter, uh, many of you would be familiar with him. He was one that was. um, He was one that made loud boasts about his faith in Christ, but didn't always stick up to those boasts. And he, uh, after, at the end of his, or at the end of Jesus' death and his resurrection, after Christ ascends into heaven, Peter becomes one of the boldest of the disciples. And he writes this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something were strange something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There it is. Rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Again, it's not about today. It's about what's coming. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Again, that's your own sin causing consequences. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will, listen to that. Those who suffer according to God's will commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to to do good. My challenge for all of us this morning, and again, we just... Tipped the iceberg. We we just barely stepped out into the water here because there's so much deeper that you could go with this topic. But my challenge for all of us is that as we think about suffering, that we would rewrite the way we think about suffering. In my life, I always think about suffering. Suffering comes and it's a bad thing. I don't want it. I want comfort. I want peace, which is okay to want those things. But ask yourself the question: if you're in the midst of suffering. If you're in the midst of suffering, why is this happening? What is God refining in me? And how can I rejoice in the midst of my suffering? How can I rejoice in the fact that I get to share in the sufferings of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's a challenge for every one of us. And I just pray that God gives us the strength to do it. Let me pray. Father, Again, I thank you uh, for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And God, I pray that you would help us in the midst of this, this topic of suffering. Lord, it's a challenge to all of us. I pray that you would uh, give us a new understanding and help us, to, help us to be able to rejoice in it. Help us to see your hand in it. Help us to see the work that you are doing uh, in the midst of us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. What I want to do now is the worship team comes forward and we're just about to close out this service is to, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Remember, uh, at the very beginning, I hear some of you doing it, tearing off that tear off. If there are things that you want to respond to, feel free to do that. Uh, let us know you're here. If there's prayer requests you have, uh, please feel free to put those on there as well. Um, And as the ushers come forward, uh, they're going to take the offering. And what we're going to do is just close this off with one uh, final song. So I would invite you to stand and uh, worship with us. All right. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness?